Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. David, how's it going, buddy? So it's in a week. It's another Womp Womp Wednesday, but this Womp Womp Wednesday feels a little less Womp Wompy than most Womp Womp Wednesdays. It's a lot of womps uh, <laughs> so all so up in the ones. intro. But uh, but how you doing, man? What uh, First off, as we open every show, or seemingly every show, what you drinking, buddy? Uh, so we've moved on. We've, we've got another beer after two weeks, I think, of the same beer, if I remember right. Um, we're, we're doing, uh, uh, what is it? Accumulation by New Belgium. Another, ah, another, sticking another with the New Belgium beer. family. Yeah. I got you. No, no, well we, we, we switched from Sierra Nevada to New Belgium. Ah, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, Sierra Nevada, not Sierra Nevada. Correct. If there's one thing I've learned from you, David, it's Nevada, not Nevada. This is correct. Right. Uh, it's the only I've got thing. Myself... I mean, if you learn only one thing from this show, really, like <laughs> all of the football related stuff, it's fine. You know, it's whatever. Uh, hopefully, hey, like, mildly like entertaining. We want to make you a better rival in any conversation, (laughs) whether it be about state pronunciation uh, or football. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's the one thing that I think I can really fall back on. You know, like everything else goes out the window, just like all the football predictions, whatever, just like completely crap. You know what? At least you learned how to pronounce Nevada correctly. You're damn right. You're damn right. I've got myself a little Malbec uh, in this fancy little wine glass that uh, is from Crate and Barrel, which means that everyone has the exact same goddamn glass. It's fancy. Uh, Because that's what happens when you get married. You get the same shit that everyone else has got on the same damn wedding registry. Can't wait. Uh, No, I can't wait. That's right. Can't wait to get all coming. I can't wait to get my free shit. Basically, yeah, it's yours, my, my yours turn is to coming, get the dude. Yep. Your time is coming soon. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's get into the rundown. There's a couple of neat little narratives that we like to go over before we get into the game review. First and foremost, leading the top of the show, in case there was any concern, in case you were wondering, in case you still were holding on to a glimmer of hope and thinking that there was a chance, the 49ers are now officially mathematically eliminated from playoff contention. Draft Watch 2016 begins now. Yeah, I guess you can, uh, you know, spend that money you were saving for playoff tickets elsewhere. You know, go buy a uh, significant other, a better Christmas present. I don't know. Go spend it on a lot of booze and get drunk. Whatever. There's there's options out there. All of those things. OK, so this is going to be the leading contender for the call to action is alternate playoff money. Yeah, like it's, <laughs> like like what what are you going to spend the money that you were saving on for playoff tickets on instead? I actually might still go to Houston for the Super Bowl because for, for those that don't know, I, I live in Austin. And so it's, it's about a two and a half, three hour drive, depending on what part of Houston you're at. It could be fun to go and experience the atmosphere. Hell, I could just fake a ticket and sneak in just like the people on YouTube. That sounds like a fun <laughs> idea. It'll uh, totally cur- work, I'm sure. Yeah, fine. totally work. Right. Uh, currently, the 49ers are second in draft order but if cleveland decides to stop being a factory of sadness for one week they will win a game and the niners then begin or they then ascend to the number one spot in the nfl draft based on strength of schedule so really the niners need to keep losing and cleveland needs to keep winning which we'll get to here in a little bit but i'm not sure that that's necessarily going to happen probably not doesn't doesn't seem likely Yep. So we get to then the injury updates and roster updates. Really, there's a couple of who cares transactions at the bottom of the roster, but the quasi big deal, and I say big and that kind of like metric centimeter big, is that Shane Skov <laughs> is going to injured reserve. Uh, he has a knee injury, which wasn't believed to be a tear of the ACL or something serious, but there's only like five weeks left in the season or something like that. So they're like, you know what? You're probably going to be back in four weeks. No need to carry you on the roster. Go to injured reserve. Call it a day. And Shane Skovskov uh, goes the way of the dodo. 
So I was only barely paying attention to anything that you just said, mostly because so I'm, I'm looking at Niners Nation and I've only read the headline so far. And as far as I'm concerned, that's as far as I need to go with this. Um, so we're going to have like a late addition to the rundown here. And this is that oh God. Eric Reed is looking to The Rock for rehab ideas. Um, what? That's, that's all I've got so far. Uh, and it's it's a great. It's incredible. It's a great headline. Um, Hold on. I, I clicked on the article. I don't know what. Yeah, I mean, good for him, I guess. Rock's jacked, probably. Oh, no. This is this is funny. Uh, so I'm reading. <laughs> I'm, I'm reading the article right now. It's actually it's a funny Twitter exchange. So Eric Reed said if there's a way that he just could could just play with the cast because his arm is in a cast post surgery. And so someone tweeted him and said, you can try and get. Uh, buff AF to flex it out like The Rock did in Fast and <laughs> Furious 7. Just like flex out of the cast. Uh, and so Eric Reed then tweets The Rock and says, any pointers? The Rock and Dwayne Johnson replies and says, absolutely. Get a fake cast and Hollywood cameras and break that shit off like a G. <laughs> <laughs> That's the exact quote. Oh man, The Rock. I read that tweet word for word and honestly, this is just this has been your daily uh, Why The Rock Is Awesome recap. American icon. Goddamn right. Uh, so the third story then in the rundown is going to be this interesting narrative that's been coming out of 4949 Centennial over the last couple of days. And that's the career trajectory of one Mr. Vance. Don't call me drops. He's McDonald. He now th- there's been a couple of articles uh, from Cam Inman. I think Matt Barrows also had a similar one talking about how Vance McDonald is getting to kind of the, the he's ascending in his career arc. He, of course, is going to be a free agent, I think, after the year. This is the last year of his rookie deal. And he is now fifth in the NFL in yards per catch, not for tight ends, but total. He is, you know, Trent Balky was quoted as saying that he's developing into the player we always thought he would. The big knock on Vance McDonald is, of course, his drop rate. And Jeff Dini from Pro Football Focus has a good stat for us. He tweeted out just a couple of hours ago. He said that in 2013, 2015, Vance McDonald's drop rate was just shy of 20%. In 2016, however, it's 8%. Still high, but more than cut in half in terms of passes. And this is, of course, with a much higher pass volume because he's, of course, on pace to surpass his career totals in terms of pass receptions and yardage. And, of course, the, the stat that everyone likes to throw out is that he is the first, I think he's like the fifth tight end in history to have two receptions of over 65 yards in one season. So, I mean, is, is Van, I guess the question then becomes, is a, this narrative worth putting weight in? And two, if it is, is Vance McDonald of an, a viable NFL tight end that we should resign for the future? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> like, uh, on one hand, it's it's great. I mean, he's obviously made some improvements, right? Like the drop rate uh, has improved pretty significantly. Um, do need to point out that, again, it's still not good. So so among tight ends um, right now with his drop rate that have played at least 25 percent uh, of their team snaps, he's still 26th in drop rate out of 40. Um, so it's it's not great. He's still, he's still a part of the better rivals drinking game. Like yeah. when he drops a pass, you still take a drink because that's still going to happen in a game. I think it helps him from a perception standpoint that Garrett Selleck is just a complete disaster. Like right right now, 
Garrett Selleck. <laughs> Garrett Selleck is the ugly friend that girls take to the club. <laughs> yeah. So Vance McDonald looks a little cuter. Is that yeah, what you're ab- telling me? Absolutely. Like 100%. I mean, Garrett Selleck's, uh, his drop rate is 30, like he's 16% right now, which is 39th of those 40 tight ends that I just mentioned. Um, we've talked about several times at this point, like what a, a nightmare he's been uh, in the run game, run blocking. So, uh, yeah, he's he's kind of been a disaster. So, yeah, what Vance McDonald's doing certainly looks good in comparison. Um, but it's I think important to point out that it's still not good. Um, and, and I think right now, again, we have a, a three year sample. Um, and, you know, of course, there's always going to be kind of some built in excuses when you have a team going through um, what the 49ers have gone through over the last few years. But uh, even even with those things in consideration, like the drop rate was just awful and there there was very little in those three seasons that you know would make you believe that he was going to be a viable like number one option as a tight end uh at at any point in his career and i don't know that you know a handful of good games this season really changes my opinion on that all that much like i think uh really what it is is you know again credit to him for for lowering that drop rate a little bit but he's in a system that i think um you know has been very beneficial to tight ends in the past that does look to attack the middle of the field a good amount um, and so I think he's seeing a higher percentage of targets just because of that. Um, and that's, you know, led to some increase. And he's obviously a very good athlete. I mean, that's really never been in question, right? So some of the big plays that he's been able to to produce because of some uh, situations. People. Yeah, yeah. He's gotten some open space and you're able to see that athleticism. Um, but I, I'm still not convinced that he has, you know, everything else that it takes to be a, a top end tight end in this league, right? Like a, a quality number one guy. I think his blocking is actually kind of declined. Like that was his one saving grace early on, right? It was like, well, he's not doing a whole lot in the passing game, but he's been a pretty incredible run blocker. I think that's kind of taken a step back this year. Um, so, so I still don't think it's a, at a point where I am looking to re-sign Vance McDonald and make him a part of my long-term plans for this offense. Here's here's the the kind of alternate or the optimist view of Vance McDonald. And, and I don't know that I necessarily subscribe to this view, but you look at someone that, of course, 49er fans uh, are are lusting after this year, and that's Delaney Walker. And you look at someone like Delaney Walker, and he was a wide receiver coming out of college. He came out of a small school, and he played second fiddle to Vernon Davis and played a pretty integral role in the Jim Harbaugh year, but but had he had a case of the dropsies, right? His hands were not all that great. It took a while for him to develop as a blocker. And then right as he was kind of developing into his peak, which was about the third, fourth year of his career, he ends up, I think it was actually a little bit later because I think he signed two deals with San Francisco, but he ends up leaving on a free agent deal to Tennessee. And now that he's in his sixth, seventh, eighth year is a breakout star at tight end. I'm not saying that Vance McDonald's trajectory is exactly along those lines, but Vance McDonald was a tight end who was at Rice. He was a slot tight end. He was basically a receiver who didn't have to block when he was at Rice. And he now is developing into a tight end that looks like he could have some skills. If you're the optimist, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for a Delaney Walker type trajectory where now he's in a system where you could take advantage of his skills. He's had a couple of years in the league. He's gotten control of his hands. And and then in maybe two, three years, he really is the player that maybe Delaney Walker is right now or, or Delaney Walker light because I don't think Vance McDonald's going to be a thousand yard tight end, but he, he at least has the talent to do so. So I, I don't know that I subscribe to that 
to that narrative, perhaps. But if you're the optimist, if you're looking for the the silver lining, I think that's what you're looking towards. Yeah, definitely. Um, gonna blow your mind here for a second. Delaney Walker, he's in his eleventh season right oh, now. Oh God, eleventh. Eleventh. Uh, he did sign two deals with the Niners. In then, related huh? news: We are old as fuck. Um, <laughs> that's that's how I feel about that news. Um, yeah, eleventh season right now. So I mean, for him in the passing game, I mean, it really did take. I mean, he wasn't just you know a few years into his career before that finally started to click. I mean, he is uh, really at this point. By the time he moves on from San Francisco eight years into his career. Um, and, and so Lord. I think that's a case where, you know, the 49ers look at Alex Smith, uh, like 49ers fans look, look, look at Alex Smith in, in this kind of same light where you, you can't bank on the exception, right? Like you, you can't point to the outlier as a reason to continue to, to, to have a player like Vance McDonald, right? The, the one guy that managed to turn his career around late in his career and kind of, figure out how to, to to catch the ball consistently and improve his hands, which isn't something that typically happens, you know, over the course of an NFL career. Usually just ask Vernon Davis guys that that struggle to catch the ball naturally, like don't it's not something that you really develop. Right. Like, yes, you can get it a little bit better, but it's it's not going to be something that's ever a clear strength. And, you know, Delaney Walker has been the exception to that. And uh, and I don't think you can point to that as a reason to justify Vance McDonald, uh, you know, doing the same sort of thing. I think you have to kind of play the odds a little bit and and odds are that he's not going to develop into that player. Well, I will say that hopefully this might be one of those buy low situations. It, it, everyone has a price. If you can get him for the right price, I say do it. Um, and sure. still, I, I'm yeah, still I mean, think obviously it depends what your options are, right? Like I, 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 at this point I haven't paid any attention to what like the potential free agent class is going to be like the potential draft class and, and so if those things are weak and you don't really have any other options, yeah, it might make sense to bring him in on a a one year or a short term deal or something like that and, and keep around, see what happens. Um, but I, I think tight ends is one of those, you know, we talked a little bit about roster construction last week and kind of, you know, what what positions of need are and, and things like that. And and to me, I think if you're looking at, at making a change, right, if something happens with the general manager, the head coach and you look at, at this team going in a different direction, Tight end is one of those positions where I'm saying just blow it up, like get rid of everybody that you have here. This like this hasn't worked. You've had these guys on your team being the subpar, like replacement level players for an extended period of time. Like just get a different group of guys in here, like see what what happens, like take some, you know, low draft picks, some undrafted guys, like grab a guy in free agency, whatever it, it takes. Like you're not getting the production you need from this group. So let's look elsewhere. Uh, and, and kind of, again, blow that position group up and, and really start over. I still have a, a little piece of my heart that's with Blake Bell, the belldozer. I still think that he could do uh, some good things. Yeah, He's got good hands. The, yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely would have liked to see him play a little bit more this season. Um, I mean, the blocking, I think, has been, you know, we've we've talked uh, how the tight ends yeah. have really struggled in that area, and that was always the concern with him, you know, um, making that transition and just being able to to really improve in that area. So it, it seems like that hasn't been the case with him not getting any playing time. But, yeah, I, I mean, okay, so maybe him being – a little bit younger, a little bit less proven, haven't Garrett seen as Selleck, much. Garrett Selleck at some point is on that Jeff Fisher plan. Like, there's nothing that Garrett Selleck can do because at this point, I think Vance is your receiving tight end and Blake Bell, I think, should be the other guy because Garrett Selleck just does not play well. He's in a... He's, he's 
completely abhorrent yeah. as a run blocker. Yeah. Uh, and of course, he had the fumble at Miami, which we'll get to in a minute. But yeah, it's just uh, it's it's an interesting position. But overall, I think based on the talent level, Vance is a guy who's been much maligned for the Niners. And he's now a guy who's emerging in, yes, a tight end friendly system. But I think it's a neat storyline to, sure. uh, to to talk about. And if you're, again, silver lining, you think, hey, this could be the next Delaney Walker. Or if, you know, you, you hate football like David does because he watches <laughs> it so much, then you just like, you know what? Cut them all. Cut them all. Cut them all. Uh, let's, let's start that's right. over. So that's cut all right. the tight ends, cut all the outside linebackers. Um, what else do we want to get rid of? Probably. I mean, who knows? I would have said the same thing about quarterbacks like a, a week or two ago, but who knows? Uh, so let's get then to a brand new segment that we're going to have here on the better rivals <laughs> podcast. It is, it is new because the last two weeks have been uh chuckle worthy. If you will, they've been really funny to see some of chip Kelly's post game comments. And it really, they're, they're these little snide remarks that chip Kelly seems to throw in and they're usually about personnel, which, I mean, look, you. some people are trying to make this a story about like, oh, he's clearly, you know, throwing, he's throwing darts at Balky or throwing shade at Balky. And, and some people are like, no, he's not. Um, yeah, he totally is. He knows. I think he knows what he's doing. He's a smart dude. Yeah. And so we're going to bring you a new segment every week. Uh, and it's going to be this week in Chip Kelly throwing shade. This is going to be the new segment every week in the rundown from here to the end of the year. This week in Chip Kelly throwing shade. And this week, we've got a quote about the pass rush from Chip Kelly. He was asked, Chip, what have you seen from the pass rush? Obviously, you've played without linebacker Aaron Lynch for eight games. But did you, but did you expect to get more from those guys stepping in? Chip Kelly's response, one line. No, we got what we expected from those guys. <laughs> Uh, it's so perfect. We really need a drop to play, like uh, you know, some sort of uh, sound to, to to play after that would really kind of seal the deal there. I mean, it's great. Like these uh, these little uh, quotes like that are just uh, really some of the highlights of the the week in Forty Nine er Land at this point. Like uh, just to see like what he decides to. I, I think you know. I think that yeah, sure. There's a little bit there like, to wonder how much he's throwing shade at Bulky, um, but part of it too, I think like Chip just doesn't really like give it like he's he's just going to kind of tell it how it is you know like yeah it's it's uh he's not going to really sugarcoat things uh as much as you would typically see from most coaches i mean most coaches are are trotting you know case keenum out there and they're going to say that they think he's a great quarterback and a great fit for our system we love what he does all that stuff like chip's gonna you know kind of Tell no, they're going to say that Danny more. Woodhead is one of the Patriots' best weapons. <laughs> yeah, or you just can be completely clueless about what's going on. Uh, and if, in, case, in, case you missed it, in case you missed it, Jeff Fisher had a quote earlier today talking about how Danny Woodhead was one of the Patriots' best weapons when Danny <laughs> Woodhead, in fact, is on injured reserve and plays for the San Diego Chargers. True story. That yep. is a thing that actually happened. That's what happens when you, you know, uh, check out, I don't know, five years ago and still somehow manage to keep a job. So, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. whatever. Jeff Fisher. So let's get to the Dolphins recap then. Let's talk about our biggest takeaways for the game. And we always kick this off with a question. And David, my question is really about this, this passing offense and Colin Kaepernick is, is this passing offense kind of not so terrible? Because this was... The Dolphins, right? You, you you have this performance against the Saints, and you're like, okay, look, their defense is terrible. We expected it. We predicted it. But now you come in against a team that, against a defense that is ranked seventh 
overall based on DVOA in a passing defense that has ranked sixth, and you throw up nearly 300 yards, three touchdowns, one interception that was like maybe 30% on cap and 70% on the wide receiver, this was a damn fine performance against a good defense. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like it was, uh, it's a little, it's <laughs> a shock little on your weird. face is astounding. Um, I mean, this is the reason why, uh, you know, before the season that we wanted to see what he could do in this offense, right? What Colin Kaepernick could do in Chip Kelly's offense after he had an opportunity to kind of get comfortable and learn the system. Uh, I mean, we never, this was never a certainty that he was going to come in and excel. Like, uh, I, I, again, we talked at length in the offseason about how it wasn't as clear of a fit as some people wanted to make it out to be just because there were some unknowns with Kaepernick and whether he was going to, uh, you know, either revert to the player that he's been in, uh, you know, 2014, 2015, where things weren't going so well, or whether we were going to see some of those strengths that we saw in, in 2012, 2013, you know, come back a little bit. And I think we're starting to see those things. Um, and even starting to see him kind of develop in some areas that he's never really been all that good at. I mean, I think you look at this game was a, a really great example. So I think on uh, on one hand, you have to certainly give credit to Chip and, and kind of putting him in situations that I think uh, really fit him well. I mean, they're uh, continuing to get him on the move a lot, um, you know, do a lot of play action where they're where they're getting him rolling out to one side um, and, and kind of setting up some easy throws in that regard. Um, you know, they're, they're focusing on the middle of the field quite a bit lately. Um, so he's just doing some things, you know, in in that regard, from a schematic standpoint that are setting him up with some, some good, easy throws, but we're also seeing Kaepernick do things like, um, you know, find his check down consistently when, uh, you know, when it's there, like there were several times in this game, uh, against the dolphins where he was able to get the ball out to one of his backs. Um, once pressure started to get there, you know, it wasn't immediately looking to take off. Uh, it, it, as soon as, you know, you got the first sign of pressure in the pocket and he's, you know, making very good decisions when he does decide to scramble. And we're seeing that with the results, right? Like he's putting up these big, uh, rushing numbers, mostly from scrambles, you know, not a, a little bit of designed run stuff in there, a little bit of zone rated mixed in, but, um, certainly the bulk of his rushing totals have been from scrambles. And I think that's a sign that, you know, he's making good decisions there. Like he's, uh, and when you pull it up on tape, most of the time, you know, when he decides to scramble, it's the right decision. It's because there's nobody open downfield. Like he doesn't have an outlet to get the ball to. You know, there wasn't somebody that he missed downfield. Um, you know, of course, with any quarterback, those are going to pop up from time to time. But by and large, he he's making very good decisions there. So, yeah, I think we're, we're just kind of seeing him um, start to get comfortable in the system and, and really start to do some things that we haven't seen him do consistently um, really at any point in his career. Now did, did, is this a function of the defense that the dolphins played against him? Because if you, if you look at the coaches tape and run that tape back, the dolphins played a lot of cover two man under where they were like, you know what? We really don't have to worry about anyone wide receiver or running back alike. And so they basically played not necessarily a base defense, but they were basically playing a defense that allowed their players to perform because they thought their players were better than our players, especially when you have a defensive front like they have with Ndamukong Sue and even an aging Cameron Wake. You've got a defense that you're like, well, you know what? My four linemen are as good as your five offensive linemen and my, you know, kind of defensive backs are better than your wide receivers and my safeties can just kind of sit back. That's the kind of game they played. 
And as a result of them playing so much man coverage, now all of a sudden, you're not playing zone, so the defensive backs' backs are to the quarterback. Colin Kaepernick can take off, and he did. They did not play a spy against Colin Kaepernick often, if at all, really. I don't remember a play where they had a designated spy. And on zone read plays, they weren't scrape exchanging. They were trying to let that defensive end crash towards Carlos Hyde. Uh, and on the first play of the game, he, you know, Cap takes off and runs. Was this more a mistake in terms of the way the Dolphins played? Or is this really a, a resurging Kaepernick and 49ers offense? I, I think that uh, there are maybe some things that Miami could have done differently there. Um, I, but I don't think the approach of playing, you know, heavy man coverage is is a bad approach against, you know, a Chip Kelly offense. I mean, we've talked about all offseason some of the things that just from a, a pure scheme standpoint that what his offense does to defenses, right, and how they have to kind of match up to those. And, and really what you have to do a lot of times to account for everybody and to make sure that you don't have um, you know, these receivers running free down the middle of the field against your zone coverage is you do have to play a lot more man. You do have to drop a guy down into the box to to help with the run game. And I think that may be the area there that they they kind of messed up on. So I think maybe your approach against uh, a Colin Kaepernick uh, led team right now is you're still playing heavy man coverage on the outside for a variety of reasons. One, to to, to make sure that you don't let Chip kind of take advantage of your zone schemes. And two, because, I mean, chances are your cornerbacks are better than the 49ers receivers. I mean, they don't have anybody <laughs> that that is going to consistently win those one-on-one matchups and and really be somebody that you have to worry about. Um, so I think that certainly plays a role. But I think, you know, maybe you see teams ideally play a little bit less too high and, and uh, you know, drop a guy down More in, the box. in the box. Yeah, and, and maybe you make you turn that safety into, you know, some sort of a spy, right? Like you have him rather than... Uh, you know, a lot of times in cover one, when you're not sending an extra uh, guy after the passer, rushing the passer, you have this kind of extra defender that you can play with in, in zone coverage. A lot of times they play uh, in, in what you just usually refer to as the hole, which is like just kind of the middle area and like that. 10 to 20 yard range right to kind of yeah it is that middle area <laughs> uh just all right to, that's kinda, yeah. drink hashtag better rivals <laughs> drinking game let's uh, go ahead it's, and just it's hard to avoid right hey you know there's just uh some, the hole some, is hard to avoid my the, friend <laughs> <laughs> oh man um yeah so he's you know kind of there to to be able to try to jump some of those uh intermediate routes and and to um you know allow the you're also you're like your slot corners they can play with more outside leverage and, and try to take away those outbreaking routes because they know um, that they have a little bit of help inside. So there's things like that that you can do with Kaepernick. Maybe you turn that guy into more of a spy, right? Where he's coming down, making sure that uh, he doesn't get these massive scramble lanes to take off against. So yeah, maybe there's a little bit of, uh, of something that Miami could have probably done differently to help limit some of that damage. But I, I think at this point, you know, we're seeing them offensively get better most every week at this point. I mean, well, let's, let's go back for a second and talk about something you said about the wide receivers not being able to win one on one matchups. And of course, we, we never wish injury on anyone. Right. But but you've got Quentin Patton who's out with a concussion and he, I think, got knocked out of the game sometime in the second quarter. And now you've got Rod Streeter coming into the game and he led the team 
in yardage and I believe targets, but don't quote me on that one. I know he led the team in yardage. He led receivers sure. in yardage. He led so receivers. he was behind That's right, yeah, Drone ends, and, of and McDonald, um, both yeah. uh, edged him in, in yardage there. But yeah, among receivers was the leader uh, basically across the With board. like yeah. something really low, like 40 yards or some shit four, like that. Four for 46. Long, yeah, four for 46 His long was 25. Yep. So is the, the question that I've got for you really is, is Rod Streeter an upgrade over someone like Quinton Patton? Uh, I don't think it matters, honestly. Like, I don't think there's like the uh, such a discernible difference between the two. Um, I, I I think that they probably offer a little bit uh different skills. I get the one thing that Patton has done pretty well throughout his career, um, has been you know the ability to kind of make things happen after the catch. Like, it's rare. It seems like that he gets the ball in his hands, and and so that's obviously a problem. And and you, you certainly have to question, you know, how well he's able to get open and create separation, some of those things, because a lot of the the instances when we see him, you know, make things happen after the catch, a lot of times it's on very short throws, you know, like some of those uh, jet sweep, um, you know, runs effectively that that show up as passes uh, hey, in the box. passes. Store. I don't care yeah. what you say. Uh-huh. They're passes. Yeah, sure. Um, and, on the stat sheet anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think that maybe uh, Rod Streeter offers a little bit more there. But, you know, you're, you're talking about a, a, a guy either way that I think is maybe barely better than replacement level. So I, I, I don't know that uh, even if he is an upgrade in some areas, I don't know that it's enough to, like, make a difference in your passing game. This is the moment. This is the moment where I remind everyone that this should be Bruce Ellington. Yeah. We, we got I robbed mean, yeah. of watching Bruce Ellington in this offense with Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. Like, I'm I mean, just going to go ahead and put that out there because I super high on Ellington. I love Ellington. And you know what? Yeah. His, his issue was his issue, right? His injuries. And that's what happened. But this could be Ellington in the slot doing Ellington things. So, well, he was the one guy coming in that was able to, you know, that had shown the ability to create separation on his own, right? Like the ability to win win those matchups. Yep. And, and get open. Uh, And yeah, it sucks. It sucks that we didn't get a chance to see what he could do in this offense. So before we get to the run defense, let's talk a little bit about Colin Kaepernick's passing under pressure, because this is another area in which Colin Kaepernick is succeeding and he is now in the top 10 in quarterback rating under pressure in the NFL. This is not a misspeak, folks. This is not a the, the verbal typo. This is true story, real fact, hashtag real talk. You've got <laughs> Tom Brady, Sam Bradford, Russell Hustle Bustle, Drew Brees, Matt Ryan, Tyrod Taylor, Cody Kessler, really? Marcus Mariota, Colin Kaepernick, rounding out the top 10, Dak Prescott. Those are your top 10 quarterbacks based on quarterback rating in the NFL. And rounding out the rear, the caboose is number 35. I remind you, there are 32 starting quarterbacks in the NFL. (laughs) Blaine Gabbert. uh, And then actually Carson Wentz, Case Keenum, Jay Cutler, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Brock Ono, uh, and Josh McCown, Ryan Tannehill. You get the rest. But you've got now a quarterback who, remember that Colin Kaepernick has always been good under pressure, at least in the 2012-2013 years. That's where he really succeeded. It wasn't until we saw him in 2014 and, and, and 2015 that we were like, what the, who is this quarterback under pressure? Now he seems to be coming back, rounding into form under pressure. 
to the point to where he's he's in the top ten. That's not nothing. That's a that's a skill that is reproducible offense or reproducible offense, I should say, that the 49ers did not have before and did not have with Blaine Gabbert. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the areas, again, where he has is definitely looked better and, and looked more in control, right? I think uh, especially, you know, in the 2014-2015 time range, um, whenever pressure would start to come, like things just kind of like that was it. It was kind of the, the end of the play, um, you know, because he would kind of panic a little bit and, and looked out of sorts and um, would look to take off immediately and escape the pocket and find kind he of got that David open space. Card, man. He got David card a little bit. Yeah. I mean, uh, and, and it's, it's weird to see him playing, you know, much different. He just looks more in control. I, I think he just feels a little bit more comfortable uh, with the offense and knows kind of, again, where his outlet is and is willing to get the ball out to him. Like, outlet wasn't even a thing that I think was in Colin Kaepernick's vocabulary for like the first four years that he was in the league. It just wasn't something that, um, you know, either a was in a lot of the passing concepts they use or B that he was able to find consistently. And so, yeah, I, I think we're seeing him, um, you know, be more aware of his options, getting the ball out quicker. I think especially against the blitz. I mean, the numbers you mentioned, um, were all against pressure, but in this game, especially against uh, Miami, you know, he was very effective against the blitz. And I think being effective against the blitz is, one, being able to recognize stuff pre-snap and, you know, have a good indication uh, of what you're about to get in that play. And then two, quickly diagnosing that and knowing where to go, right? Knowing your offense, knowing where your your hot routes are going to be um, when the blitz comes. And, and so I think we're seeing um, those sort of things from him as each week goes on. You know, he just looks a little bit more comfortable there. Uh, and it's been, yeah, it's been kind of a nice change of pace. I mean, watching quarterback play for this team for the better part of like two years was just absolutely miserable. Um, and, and we're starting to see some signs of competence. I mean, I think it is important, you know, to mention that we're, we're not trying to say, or by any stretch that he's like suddenly a top five quarterback, right. That he's suddenly the same player that he was in 2012, 2013, and that should be looked at in that caliber. But we're talking about the difference between uh, guys that were clearly like the worst quarterbacks, the worst starting quarterbacks in football to somebody that's like kind of firmly in the middle of the pack now. And that's kind of where his performance has been and considering everything around him and the lack of talent, like it's pretty impressive. Well, I think the one play that illustrates this for me is his, is the play, unfortunately that ended in the Garrett Selleck fumble. One of the two plays I think that that cost really the 49ers the game because they were driving into the red zone. But this play was the mesh concept, one that we've broken down, one that David broke down uh, in his Chip Kelly 101 series that he wrote for Niners Nation at the beginning of the season. And the play looked exactly like you draw it up. David outlined it here. You've got, the, of course, the crossers underneath. And then you've got Garrett Selleck coming in on a little hitch route, really in between, in the middle of the field, so that when the two crossing routes clear, if it's man coverage you, or if it's zone, depending on whatever, you've got that middle area that's open. And that's the fourth read. The first read is kind of a wheel route that's an alert, kind of like, is this open? If so, throw it. And then you've got the two underneath crossing routes. And then your fourth read is the is the throw that Colin Kaepernick eventually makes. And you see the stripe of his helmet when you look at the coach's film. You see the stripe of the helmet. Look to the running back. Is it open? Nope. He looks underneath. Blaine Gabbert throws one of those two throws underneath. He throws one of those two throws underneath. And he either doesn't complete it because they're covered or he completes it short of the sticks because that's what Blaine Gabbard does. Colin Kaepernick doesn't do that. He waits just a beat longer, takes an extra hitch, 
and looks to his left to confirm that that guy's not wide open, comes back really quick to the middle of the field and throws the ball, completes it, and does exactly what the quarterback should do. This is the Colin Kaepernick that you hoped you would see in this offense. Doesn't mean that he's the bestest of the best. It's just the quarterback that can actually make this offense go. Of course, it's the Niners, so that play ended in a fumble, and Miami recovered, and, you know, it is what it is. But I think that play is really, it's important to note that that read, that throw, was his fourth read, and not just a read that he settled on or that he predefined pre-snap. And the other note with that, like, Indomitian Sue is on top of him as he makes his throw. Like, is is yeah. basically, like, he gets hit uh, by, by Sue kind of right at the waist there, as he's releasing that ball goes to the ground immediately afterwards. And it's still, um, you know, again, it, it's not the most accurate pass. It's not in like the perfect no, location, it was a little right? inaccurate. but it's, it, you know, considering the situation and, and uh, again, what we've seen before, like you, the fact that you're giving your receivers a chance to make a play, right. Is, is a kind of a big step forward for quarterbacks on this team. So um, yeah, I, 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 again, I think like you mentioned, it's a very good, uh, example of kind of some of the strides that he's been able to make over these last few games. All right, so let's get to the final point in this game, and that's going to be the 49ers run defense. And this is going to bring to us our spotlight player of the week, and that's going to be one Mr. Chris Jones. Who? Chris Jones picked up on waivers <laughs> when Eric Armstead went on injured reserved. He, well, injured reserve, sorry. not There's no D at the end of that. There's no injured reserved. Uh, it's injured reserve. Uh, it's a, he, he reserved his table in the trainers. Uh, you know, correct. He really wanted he, to make sure he got the the right masseuse. He open tabled. Yeah. Uh, he open tabled. He's <laughs> like, I'm going to get a massage. Uh, I'm going to get in the relax a taxi uh, or the relax a cab, depending on whether you're with Phoebe or Rachel for you friends, folks out there. Uh, but this is a player who was picked up off waivers from Miami and he made an impact in this game. His 77.9 grade was the highest graded 49ers defender this week based on Pro Football Focus's charting. He played 27 of 59 snaps in his first game. Not a lot of plays will show up on the stat sheet, but he was taking on double teams. He only made one stop, but he was solid in the run game. He was one of the players that jumped out on film, and I say jumped out in the context of 49ers film, which is he probably <laughs> played average, but since I'm so used to seeing really shitty players on defense, it yeah. looked exceptional. So it's one. It, it, this is a player where you're thinking, okay, this is one game, but if you can continue to play, and now that we know that Glenn Dorsey is back and he's clearly playing at a much higher level, this run defense may not be historically bad anymore. Yeah. I mean, like, again, going from uh, worse in the league, uh, historically bad, like going from the very bottom to even just kind of subpar, right? Just like a little below average is a pretty big jump. And, and, and I think it makes a big difference. Like the one thing that we haven't really been able to see if they can figure out is whether they can manage to, you know, be this more effective team against the run that they've been in, in what, two of the three last three weeks um, and not be able to compromise so much in the past game, right. And be able to give up so much there. So uh, I, I think that's kind of one of the questions going forward is can they put it together and, and achieve some semblance of balance there to where they're not, uh, you know, a sieve in one area or the other. 
So, uh, but yeah, I think as far as Chris Jones, like you mentioned, uh, it, it was really a lot of things that didn't always show up on the stat sheet, right? It's keeping your linebackers clean and taking up blocks. And there were times where he you did actually see him get off a block, right? Which doesn't happen a lot uh, with this defensive line so far this season. So, uh, yeah, it was, you know, again, one game. We don't want to get too too crazy here and, um, you know, go overboard with what we think that he's going to be. But uh, absolutely, it was an encouraging first game from him. So that's going to be our spotlight player of the week. And, and really, the, the only other question I've got for you, David, about the run defense is something Jim O'Neill said in one of his midweek pressers. And he said that, quote, we tweaked a couple of things to help out who we have playing inside backer and to fit our personnel up front. He's alluding to some of these schematic changes that he made midweek. Did you notice any blatant or obvious schematic changes? Um, and I'll get to whether or not he should have known what the personnel, you know, what their fits were earlier, but that's a different story. Um, was there anything that you noticed that they did this week that was different compared to what they've done in weeks past? Um, so there, there were a couple things, and and I, uh, to, to be totally honest, like I don't, I'm not 100% sure as to whether these were things that were really new this week or things that maybe just I wasn't paying close enough attention to in earlier weeks and just kind of stuck out a little bit more because I, I had this in the front of my mind that, you know, he had mentioned making some changes by the time that I watched this film. So, uh, you know, with that in mind, though, there were a couple of things. And one of them, actually, we had mentioned, uh, I think, at, at some point in the last couple of weeks, which is uh, I, I have noticed them using more sub packages that include three defensive linemen. So uh, I, I'm not sure if that's kind of the part that maybe he's alluding to in, in terms of helping out their inside linebackers a little bit more by keeping an extra defensive lineman uh, on the field and therefore hopefully keeping, uh, you know, some some of those interior linemen off their linebackers on some plays. Um, but definitely they've been going. I mean, normally when you see teams go to sub packages and this was uh, certainly true of the 49ers early in the season is uh, the guy that comes off the field, right, is a defensive lineman. When you're running, when you're a three, four team, one of your D linemen comes off the field and then you bring on your extra defensive back. Um, and what they've been doing lately is removing a linebacker. So they're keeping three defensive linemen on the field, um, leaving it to with only so basically a three, three, five sort of setup uh, there. And I think that's helped them be a little bit better against the run. Um, and then I think the one thing that I noticed as well is they're playing a little bit more in the way of like, uh, even fronts. So more like four man, what you normally see from four man lines, right? So when you think of, uh, a three, four scheme and odd fronts there, usually you're playing your, your defensive linemen are head up on offensive linemen, right? Usually head up on the tackle, head up on the center, that sort of thing. They're playing more in gaps now. So you're seeing the nose, um, shade more consistently playing in one of the a gaps you're seeing one of the the defensive ends kick down inside into one of the b gaps and play more what looks like a, a four three defensive line in, in a lot of ways so um, that was something that that i noticed that they uh, seem to do a little bit more in this game against miami um, and, and so whether or not i mean it's hard to know just from watching tape whether they're making adjustments like, you know, I, I, of course, the big thing with Jim O'Neill coming into it was whether uh, the, the the defenders in the box were kind of determining which gaps they were responsible for on the fly based on how, you know, certain things played out. Um, I still think that's bullshit. Yeah, I mean, it seems kind of kind of like bullshit. I mean, and, and it's hard to know, you know, unless you know the rules going into it. Right. So. Uh, for instance, meaning with, that I think it's bullshit that that's not true. Like, I, I don't think that defenders are having to guess what gap they're responsible for post snap. I think they have an assignment and they're just not meeting that assignment. 
and now you've you got hope, better yeah. players <laughs> and all of a sudden the run defense is better. It's like yeah. that, that's not I don't, a coincidence. Yeah, I don't right? know. I mean, whether that was true or not with uh, with Cleveland, you know, who knows? I when when you looked at the problems that the 49ers were having this year in the run game, I mean, it rarely seemed to be like that could have been a potential cause, right? It was more just gaps were completely unassigned because either a nobody was lining up in them pre-snap and it was just a, a busted gap or, or they were getting out of that snap post-snap or yeah. get, getting out of that gap post-snap which was eric armstead's calling card yeah so so you had definitely some things like that um that were in there but uh yeah i think it's more you know they're doing you know, doing some basic stuff like you know just being able to get off blocks a little bit and make some tackles i mean they they did still miss a pretty high number of tackles in this game but uh if i remember like not as many of them came in the run game right like they yeah. it was still 12 total missed tackles which is kind of absurd uh and is still a problem for them but for whatever reason those those seem to to come a little bit less frequently in the run game this week and and that helped them out um and so, yeah, so you get, again, the performance, you're getting three defensive linemen on the field. You get Glenn Dorsey in there as, as opposed to Purcell. Um, and then you have somebody like Chris Jones come in and play really well on his first uh, you know game with the team. So, yeah, those things, uh, I, I think, kind of all contributed to um, him being able to or this defense looking better than it has really at most points this season. All right, well, we'll round out the coverage of the game with the stat of the week, and we're actually going to hit you with two stats this week. One is going to be a Colin Kaepernick-related statistic, and that's going to be that this week he was ranked fourth amongst quarterbacks in Week 12 uh, in defensive yards above replacement. This is football outsiders metric for really gauging how far above a replacement level quarterback your starting quarterback is. So the higher they are in these rankings, the more they are above replacement. And this week, Colin Kaepernick ranked fourth uh, across all quarterbacks in DR uh, against the number six DVOA pass defense. And he had 113 rushing yards to boot. This was Colin Kaepernick's best performance of the year by far. And I would reckon it's probably his best performance in potentially the last two football seasons. Uh, This was peak Kaepernick. It really was. And and there's nothing. uh, I don't know. You'd be hard pressed to make a case to convince me otherwise. Now, the second stat of the week is really going to be about that red zone offense, though. This is a stat that continues to astound me. Coming into the week, we were top 10 in red zone offense. And after this game, we are fourth in overall red zone DVOA, third in red zone passing, sixth in red zone rushing. If only you could marry this red zone offense with Jim Harbaugh's offense between the 20s, you would have an unstoppable team. It would be astounding and it would be amazing. But this offense is fantastic in the red zone. Colin Kaepernick had a great week and we still lost the game. All things are going according to plan for that number two pick until, of course, we get to that Bears game, which is the quote, don't screw up the second pick game. But before we get there, let's talk about these NFL and other quick hits because we're introducing some other quick hits. We spent a little bit longer on the Miami game, then we probably should have David. So we got to get through these quick. I'm going to go ahead and take all six. Let's do this. Saddle up. All right. Number one, take your pick of the following three quarterbacks to start your franchise. Derek Carr, Marcus Mariota, Dak Prescott. Go. Ooh. Um, You know, I think I might. Derek Carr, I think is the most obvious, uh, choice based on how the season's gone i think but i think i might still lean marcus Mariota a little bit um 
impressed with what he's done uh, with a coach that has done everything in his power to make life miserable for him. Yep, that's fair. Uh, I think, oh man, that's a tough one. I, I probably take Dak. I think I take Dak Prescott. Um, yeah, it's it's I, it's. I mean, uh, I think right now you can make a pretty convincing case for for just about any of them. Yeah, I think I take Dak. His uh, some of his mid range throws, which is the game that he's developed recently, have been really really good, um, and and that's kind of awesome. So that actually leads us into number two. Is Kirk Cousins actually good? No. <laughs> no, he's not. Come on, I, man. He's, um, okay, I don't know. his stat okay, lines might... are ridiculous. His stat yeah, lines are ridiculous. I he, I mean, his efficiency ratings are good. Yeah. He, they're, uh, statistically speaking, he is a good quarterback, but he doesn't pass the eyeball test. This is like the this is like reverse racism for quarterbacks. It's like you everything you do is good and you continue <laughs> to win games, but you just don't look like a quarterback. So like, no, no, I, I mean, I think. OK, so I mean, it's uh, yeah, probably unfair to say he's bad uh, at this point. I think he's he's put up enough of a track record where you do have to kind of start to take him seriously. Um, I, I think he is probably not quite as good as some of his, his numbers suggest. I think, you know, he's probably that, that range that we talked about, what was it last week or the week before about how kind of yeah, everybody in this range is, is kind of the same and there's not a whole lot of separation. Like he, okay. He's probably in that group at this point. Um, is he $18 million good? Uh, I don't know. I mean, Probably, I guess, with this, the, is the quarterback million market. dollars good? Uh, God, I hope not. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Brock Osweiler got how much money? So uh, I think he got seventeen or nineteen million a year, something like that. Yeah, I mean, he's worth more than Brock Osweiler is. So, is he gonna get twenty million dollars if he keeps playing this way? Probably because he's gonna get franchises. What he's gonna get? Yeah, I mean, I that's probably what I do because honestly, I still don't trust it. Like, I I still don't know that I'm ready to trust. Kirk Cousins is like my long-term quarterback, but you do have to start to take him more seriously, I think, at this point. All right, so we'll get to the, we said NFL quick hits and other kind of quick hits. This is, of course, about the college football playoffs. Michigan, good old Jim Harbaugh. They got screwed. They're ranked fifth. True or false? No, they didn't get screwed. Should have beat Ohio State. Ugh, I think they got screwed. I still don't understand why if you're ranked below a team, that means you're supposed to lose to them. And why, if that happens, you then drop down in the rankings. That still makes no logical sense to me. That's I mean, like, especially in this situation, right? Which is you basically, I mean, it was a double, double overtime. overtime. You played them to a draw on the road uh, against yeah. a team that was ranked higher than you. So, yeah, yeah I, I don't this think is that they I should necessarily understand. be penalized. But I, I do, I mean, when you're talking about the top four teams there's not a lot of margin for error there and and when you have a team with two losses now like it's really hard to make that argument that they should be in over teams uh with with one loss when you're i mean we're we're it's really pulling hair you're only again only four teams like no you should have beat ohio state you should have won that game this is the eventuality 18 playoff we knew it was gonna happen let's do it 18 playoff go all right <laughs> number four uh the nfl should change their overtime rules speaking of overtime games uh, because they're stupid, confusing, and make no sense. They should they should just get rid of overtime in the NFL in the regular season. Just get rid of it. I do, don't. No, I, don't I disagree. Care. Overtime is fun. I think they should make it like college. 
Here's here's my uh, only argument that has been uh, just completely made up right now. Like I've not thought this through. So um, I think though, with when it, when it comes to like you want to sit here and pretend to take player safety seriously, like you can't do things like make them run a potentially infinite overtime and add extra games to the schedule. Like these are areas where you can get rid of uh, you know snaps that teams have to be on the field and these players have to be on the field. And I think that. One, you're talking about the number of overtime games is incredibly small. Um, if, if who cares if they have a tie during the rate? Like that doesn't really matter most of the time. Like it's just not a big deal. I don't. I think... take your I take your no overtime and raise you a penalty shootout. I think the kickers I mean, okay. should decide the game, and they should play a game of horse, and it should just be <laughs> trick shot. It's just a bunch of trick I'm shots. In. Let's do and it. And you've got yeah. to you've got to match this kick. And if you can't make this kick, you lose. Done. Absolutely. Let's do Dude. it. One hundred percent sold. It is decided. All right. <laughs> Number five, uh, Deonta Foreman, running back for Texas, is the most underrated player in college football. Is he underrated? I feel like he's. Uh... He just got into the Heisman voting in like week eight because it was like, oh, he might hit 2,000 yards. He hit 2,000 yards in 11 games. 11 games. I mean, I think that's when you're talking about Heisman, that's more of a product of the stupid, like antiquated reasoning that all of these voters use for all these awards because it's it's about the team, right? Like the people that get noticed for those awards, same thing goes for MVP. You can't have an MVP on a terrible team and like with the heisman uh, the voters think the same way like they're going to go with players on good teams and texas was awful but that's what i'm saying right but that means he's underrated you've got mccaffrey who you know he ended up rushing for 2,000 yards in 14 games and you've got deonta foreman who did it in three fewer games albeit with more carries but he is probably not known outside of you know people who actually follow college football closely. McCaffrey is like effectively a household name. He's going to get highlights all over Sports Center. Deonta Foreman, on the other hand, is like, I wait, who? Like, I thought you're not your brother. Like, he gets confused for his brother, who was more highly recruited coming out, even though he is legit. And I guess follow up mm-hmm. question, really quickly, really, really quickly, because we've got one more question before we got to go. Um, is he? This dude, he had 51 carries in one game. He averaged 30 carries a game this year. He might turn pro now that Charlie Strong's been fired and Tom Herman is in. No, he did. Yeah, he, he announced. Oh, he officially he announced yep. it? Okay, so he's going pro. Yep. Good for him. Is Should you stay away from him based on the tread on the tires? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think uh, most uh, most research that I've seen suggests that like the workload in college doesn't really... Uh, impact NFL career length all that much. So, um, yeah, I don't I don't think that that's uh, really a big concern. Um, I mean, I, I'll be honest, like I haven't watched enough of him to determine whether I think that he'll be good generally, but I don't think that would be a reason that I would point to as to why you would stay away from him. All right, last question. We have to make it a yes or no, otherwise we're going to have no time to talk about the Bears. Uh, but is Mike Evans a top three wide receiver in football right now? Yeah, maybe that's not a yes or a no I, you broke the rules right now yes yes there are so there are so many good receivers right now um it is really hard to like you could throw them in just about any order when you're talking about like what the top six seven eight nine guys and i'd be like yeah okay 
that's that's fine. That's fair. That's yeah. reasonable. I, I yeah. I uh, I don't know. I, I think it's one of those things. That, well, I mean, he's been we'll move them on. Really, let's move on because really we could spend yet. time on this. Okay. We could uh, honestly, we could pro- we could probably do like a two hour long podcast every three days, and it would be fine. Yeah, but we'll go through the Bears preview uh, quickly because this game's gonna suck to watch. <laughs> um, these are two <laughs> terrible teams. Um, I'm all not right. looking forward hey, to having to watch. We're this here game. to pump our fans up. We are the optimists. All right. Are I decided three it? or four weeks ago. No, no, you're not the optimist. I, I, we decide. I decided <laughs> about three weeks ago that I was not going to come to another podcast and just be like, huh, this fucking sucks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh my yeah, God. Yeah. Let's have some fun, man. This is Let's fun. Let's do it. I mean, we can have we some fun. We started and they watching still be football terrible. because like, it's fine. fun. We talk about football because it's fun. We drink beer and or whiskey while we talk about football because it's fun. Let's have some fun. So what are the three things to watch in the don't screw up the number two pick bowl? Number one, is this 49ers two-week stretch sustainable? Um, maybe. I, I, that's, that's where I'm at you with answers, maybes. right? If, so- if this game, well, because if this is sustainable, then you would think that the Niners have should really be favored to win this game. The Bears are the 24th ranked team overall based on DVOA. They're 23rd on offense, 20th on defense. This is a team that's trotting out Matt Barkley at quarterback, who's lost, you know, you mentioned it earlier before when we were doing podcast prep, they've lost probably their two best players on the team, and that doesn't even consider the fact that they lost their starting quarterback. This is a team, the Bears, that is just not very good. And if indeed these last two games for the 49ers are not a mirage, then they should really be favored to win this game. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that uh, favored is is a, where I'm quite ready to go there. But I, I do think a lot of the improvement that we've seen is sustainable over the rest of the season, right? Like, I, I think some of the stuff that we've seen offensively with the passing game and with Kaepernick, again, we're not talking that he jumped to to some crazy level. Like, he's just moved them from really, really awful quarterback play to competent quarterback play. And so I think um, that is something that we can continue to see from him over the, the last few games in the season. Um, I think that we're like, we were always likely to see some level of improvement in the run defense, whether they were quite as good as they were last week, the rest of the way that I don't it's know. It's a regression but, to the mean upwards. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, you just, the part of being historically bad means that, you know, it's not a, a, a long lasting thing, right? It's a rare thing. If it's happening all of the time, like it's not historically bad. So I think when you saw them have this, that awful, awful run, like they were never going to be good, but they weren't going to be that bad, right? We were going to see some kind of inevitable improvement there. And so I think we we see them, uh, you know, again, be a little bit better against the run going forward uh, than they have been. So, yeah, I think some of that improvement, some of the the areas that, that have really been um, the reason for them being more competitive in recent weeks, I think uh, we're likely to see those kind of stick around a little bit. Um, it is a good I mean, kind of moving on, I think the next thing to watch really is particular with the run defense in this game. There's not a lot to like about Chicago's offense. You know, you mentioned Matt Barkley, like. While he put up some decent numbers there, it was a pretty mixed bag. Like it was kind of some big plays mixed in with, you know, some some pretty poor quarterback plays. So, uh, you know, I don't know. And their receivers are just I mean, they're they're really giving the Niners a run for their money in terms of quality of receivers right now with Alshon Jeffrey well, outside out. outside of Alshon because he's out on suspension. Yeah, he's suspended. So, I mean, right now they're trotting out uh, like 
Marcus Wilson. Um, let's see who else. Because Eddie, I mean, basically their top three receivers, what should be their top three receivers, are all out. So uh, Alshon Jeffrey is out with suspension. Kevin White, Eddie Royal are out. Um, so, I mean, the guys that are left there are are not very good at all. So um, the thing really to so what watch. What you're saying is that their fourth through seventh receivers are as good as our, like, first through fourth. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds that's, about right. That's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so the the one threat that they really have that's been pretty consistent this season is, you know, their rookie running back, Jordan Howard, who Jordan I think Howard. would would really be getting, uh, you know, he started to get more attention, I think, in recent weeks. But if it weren't for, uh, you know, Zeke Elliott and everything that the Cowboys were doing, he's probably a guy that we'd be getting a lot more attention. Um, you know, as, so what you're saying is that he's the Deonta Foreman of the NFL. <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. We'll go. I'll give you that one. I'll give it to in you. In case, in case you haven't figured it out, folks, uh, I'm, I'm a Texas fan. I, I went to <laughs> Texas, uh, graduated from there. Hook em horns. It's yeah. You, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll know. Cause I've been tweeting about the, the team all year, but yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, Dave, we should continue. get, we should get back to some, some, uh, Texas, uh, uh, head coach Tom what Tom Herman dude uh, Tom Herman mm-hmm. that's gonna be an offense bro yeah that's gonna be something excited. I'm telling we'll you I'm excited that about that um, I love Charlie I do thought I should have got another year nope. but I'm excited about Tom Herman nope um so Jordan Howard I mean he's uh he's been again very good pretty consistent for them uh averaging 5.1 yards per carry I saw something earlier this week uh that I think he hasn't dipped below 4.8 in any one game this year Good God. Um, so it's been, yeah, very consistent there, picking up pretty good chunks of yardage on the ground. Um, it's been really effective in, in making guys miss. I mean, we talked last week with, uh, what, what, how did we decide to pronounce his name? Ajayi? Ajayi? Ajayi. 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 Um, that he was the, you know, he had uh, had the most yards per carry after contact in the league and had the highest elusive rating by PFF, um, which measures basically how many tackles uh, that they break per opportunity. So he was basically the most elusive back, and now we're getting the second most elusive back this season. So uh, Jordan Howard is second behind um, Ajay in in both of those categories. So again, the 49ers defense was a little bit better in the run game in terms of missed tackles last week, but still 12, uh, you know, total in in, in the entire game. So here's here's the question. So we were, I mean, we got the most elusive back in football in, and we held him to not even under 100 yards, but under 50 yards. Yeah. We held the entire team under 100 yards total. We held the Dolphins to 95 yards overall rushing, I believe. Now, are we going... We, and we did it because, honestly, we sold out against the run. Adam Gase was right. We completely disrespected Tannehill. <laughs> we said Tannehill beat us. And you know what? He did. And, and that was fair. Yeah. You know what? Hey, we're going to dare you to do it. You did it. And you done it, but now we're going up a team. We're going up against Matt Barkley. We're gonna dare him to throw the football. Yeah, do and that. I don't know that I don't know that he's gonna be able to do that. I I was surprised that you said that that uh, good old Jordan Howard's rush had never gone before below four point eight three, um, and that's actually not true against Jacksonville. He had fifteen rushes for thirty-four yards, two point two seven. So I guess he's never gone was that, under four point eight for the year, but he's been under four point eight for oh, a game. Oh, maybe maybe that's what it was. Yeah, I might have misread that. Yeah, because I mean he had he had a seven point three three yards per attempt uh, in game one, but he only had three rushes for twenty-two yards. So I think overall he's had a really good rushing total, but in a game, Jacksonville held him in check. Uh, Green Bay held him in check. 
but over the last couple of weeks, he's been on fire. Um, so, yeah, I mean, th- this is definitely going to be the matchup to watch, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see, again, can they sustain this? Like, they they have had some success randomly, like some of the, the games that they've been very good at this year against kind of these backs that have been really good, right? I mean, we didn't know Todd Gurley was going to have the season that he's had when when they kind of uh, slowed him down in week one. Um, I drafted him uh, in the first round of my fantasy league, in my family fantasy league. Yeah, Ouch. F that. Ouch. That sucks. Um, and then what? Uh, David Johnson was the other guy that they kind of held in check. And then, uh, you know, Ajay last week. So, I, th- yeah, I mean, uh, who knows? Maybe they're able to kind of, uh, you know, get things under control. And maybe, the again, the signs that we've seen over these last couple weeks. And I do think from just a, a pure, like, game planning standpoint, like you mentioned, um, the idea that they should sell out to stop the run in this game makes a lot more sense because, uh, I, I just flat out am not trusting Matt. I mean, if Matt Barkley comes out there and beats him and, and puts up a game like Tannehill did, you know, props. That, like that, that's not a that's not a poor game plan. That's not anything that you can you hang on bad coaching. Like that's what you should want to make them do in this game. And if he you know pulls it out and has a great performance, then you know credit to him. But I, I think you got to make him do that. Um, I think looking yeah, that's I mean, that's that's legit. The game plan at this yeah. point, that should be what Jim O'Neill trots out there. He should say single coverage on the outside. I'm going to make Cameron Meredith beat me. Um, I'm going to make Deontay Thompson beat me. <laughs> I'm going to make Josh Bellamy beat me. I'm going to make Marquise Wilson beat me. The reason you're scratching your head right now is because these names should not be known to you. If you do know these names, you are doing much better at football life than most other people. <laughs> Good on you. Uh, but at this point, yeah, they're, they're hurting for wide receivers. Um, so let, let's talk a little bit then about some, some actual matchups because you've got matchups on both sides of the ball. You've got matchups on the defensive side of the ball for the 49ers uh, against the Bears' pass protection, and you've got matchups on the flip side with Akeem Hicks and the 49ers' interior of their, of their offensive line. Really quickly, let's talk about the Bears' pass protection because they are, they're struggling, but they're not struggling. It's like, sorry, not sorry. Because you've got Charles Leno and Mike Adams, who are both of their tackles, their left and right tackles. And they've given up some sacks. Of course, Charles Leno is their left tackle. He's given up four sacks in about 700 snaps. That's not good, but it's not bad. But then you've got Mike Adams, who's their right tackle, and he's given up two sacks and nine pressures. Uh, in 93 total snaps. So I would love to say that this is an opportunity for the 49ers to get pressure, but we just went up against a team who was missing their top three offensive linemen and still could not get consistent pressure against Tannehill. And so I say that they're bad and not bad, even despite the fact that they have those two players. The Bears still only rate 12th in sack percentage allowed, meaning that overall they're not too bad. So is this a game where you're going to see the 49ers start to get pressure or is this going to be another of the same where you're going to get maybe a sack if we're lucky and call it a day? Yeah, I think, you know, maybe you're able to take advantage of Mike Adams, you know, on that right side and and pick up one. But I I don't think it's going to be a situation where they are consistently able to get pressure. I mean, you mentioned uh, that there's their sack percentage allowed um, is, is pretty good at 12th there. They're even a little bit better when you look at this, uh, the total amount of pressures that they're allowing. So when you look at, at PFF's pass block efficiency, uh, they're currently at ninth among just you know, when you look at the offensive line as a, as a group. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the pass protection has been, a, I guess, a stronger aspect for that team. Um, and again, it was very disappointing really to see that lack of pressure against Miami, you know, DeForest Buckner, uh, kind of fell off and had a little bit of a bad game in terms of getting after the quarterback, didn't have a single pressure in this one. Um, again, in a situation where it looked like he really should have been set up to excel having, uh, you know, he lines up primarily on the right side of the defense. So against the left side of the offensive line and uh, Miami had three backups on the left side of their offensive line. So uh, to see him go out there and, and kind of put up that sort of goose egg, it was uh, disappointing to see. I mean, uh, again, I don't think that's like an indictment on his career prospects or anything close to that. But it was just a situation where you wanted to see him kind of take advantage of a weaker matchup and and be able to to kind of have a sort of breakout game. And so now that you're having a, you know, him go up against and, and the rest of this uh, front here go up against a much stronger offensive line and pass protection than the group that Miami trotted out last week, uh, it's just hard to see them doing much of it. I mean, it, we pretty much have to come to the realization with this te- like pass rush that it's just not going to be there. Like there, there's just I don't know if there's anything they can do at this point. Uh, I mean, Jim O'Neill hasn't really shown an ability to be able to generate pressure with uh, with blitzes and, and getting guys free with some of his packages. So I, I I just don't see it happening uh, really in any game throughout the rest of this season, to be honest. I think uh, I think the exact quote is, no, we got we ex- what we expected out of those guys. Yep. Like, I think that's 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 <laughs> this week in Chip Kelly. Hashtag real talk. <laughs> um, so let's talk about them the flip side of the ball. And that's Akeem Hicks versus the 49ers interior offensive line. So Akeem Hicks has been Chicago's best defensive lineman this year he's very very good against the run and he's going to get matched up against Zane Beatles which is the worst offensive lineman on the 49ers a 49ers offensive line that is not bad actually I would say that the 49ers offensive line is probably in their top two or three position groups on the team full stop Uh, I mean what other what other position group would you place above the offensive line at this point we thought I think originally safety but based on their play, I would say that's probably not necessarily the case. I mean, I think maybe ru- maybe running back just based on the strength of Carlos Hyde. But like, yeah. what 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 position group would you put over the offensive line? I mean, I think the one that I would have pointed to before injuries really started to kind of kill it was the secondary. I mean, I think for for a good chunk of the season, secondary was playing probably the best uh, of any one position group there. But, you know, that's obviously kind of fallen off a little bit the last couple of weeks. Um, and, and injuries have certainly played a role there. So, yeah, I, I, I think the offensive line has been, you know, again, consistently better than really expected. I mean, in pass protection, especially, I think they've been um, pretty impressive. And you're seeing Colin Kaepernick. I mean, he's still getting pressured, but it's it's just not, you know, it felt like at points last year, it was just every single snap, you know, that the guys dropping back, that there was somebody in their face or somebody that was bothering the play. So, um, not having that level of pressure has been has been very nice. I mean, there's still been some struggles in the run game, which is, I think, why this matchup against Hicks is is kind of one uh, that will be important because even with what we've seen from Kaepernick in the passing game kind of starting to get going, I do think that this is still like a better offense when they can get some semblance of a run game, right? They don't need to be, uh, you know, ripping off crazy runs or, you know, having Carlos Hyde put up massive numbers, but when they can be somewhat effective. I mean, I think this last week was a a good example. You know, he didn't get a lot of carries because of the game situation. It was only 13 carries, but five yards of carry 65 yards total. Um, I I think if we can see him in in the running game, 
you know, be competent, not getting stuffed in the backfield all the time. That's going to really help things with the passing game and make sure that they can stay on schedule. So, um, yeah, I think Hicks is going to be kind of a key component of that. And, and him going up against Beatles, I'm sure he'll get a little bit of time against Garnett as well, uh, who, again, has been, you know, shown some good things, but but still been a little bit up and down. Um, so I think that's going to be something that's important, making sure that you don't have this kind of interior presence that's wrecking your run game. And therefore you're, you're having to sit there and, um, you know, complete third and long every single, uh, time that you get the ball. All right. You said, uh, you were talking about the offensive line for a minute there. I had a flashback and I completely forgot that Anthony Davis was a member of this football team this year. This year. Yeah. Played some st- some snaps and stuff. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. we were excited about that. Yeah. I mean, it should have been like if the dude would have wanted to play, like it would have been exciting. Um, yeah, no, but, it's just, sorry. I just, yeah. that, that, that fleeting thought went through my head and I was just like, damn, it feels like, I mean, that, that was, I mean, he played through what, three, four weeks and like we're that, at week yeah. 12. So that was two months ago that, that, that feels, or maybe a little bit more than because we had a bye week, but it, yeah, that just it just it struck me for a minute there when I was like, hot damn, because Trent Brown, you know, he looks like he's going to be an average to above average right tackle. And I think Josh Garnett is also trending to be above average as a guard, not necessarily a superstar, but above average. Um, and you've got Kilgore, who's playing solid at center. You've got Zane Beatles, who should be replaced by Tiller, I think, like really soon. I don't know why he, that hasn't happened. Yeah. Uh, and then you got Joe Staley. We got to figure out what the hell we're going to do there. But it's uh, it, it's. That it, we there are lots of teams that are building through the offensive line in the NFL, um, and we have a strength in the offensive line. It just so happens that our strength is quite a bit weaker than most other. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's still not great, but it's as good as yeah. we've got. Uh, All right, so David, give me your prediction then on the season. Uh, David, you are seven and one. You're one and seven against the spread. Yeah. I am eight and zero straight up. And I'm three and five against the spread. Now, granted, we are we we think we remember that I picked the 49ers to cover, although we're not 100 percent sure. So if you remember, folks, uh, definitely hit me up. Let me know because we're not going to go back and listen to that. We're not going to go back and listen. No, let me know that I'm two and six as opposed to three and five. But right now, the record books say that I'm three (laughs) and five against the spread. David, you are one and seven. Uh, The Vegas line, the consensus line opened at the 49ers. Uh, being beaten by three points, and now uh, it's up to one and a half. So the 538 win probability puts the 49ers win percentage at 35%. Not the worst in the league, though. The Rams have the worst in the league win percentage at 14%. So, Who are the Rams David, playing this what, week? Uh, New England. Oh, okay. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. That's why, that's why Fisher <laughs> had that Danny Woodhead quote. <laughs> Oh yeah. Okay. Um, um, so, all right, David, let me know what you're thinking. What yeah, you thinking? I think, I mean, this one is more, I think, uh, I, I think hoping at this point, uh, that I, I really do just kind of want them to lose out and get that number two pick or maybe a shot at number one of Cleveland. I want Miles Garrett. Uh, I want Miles Garrett. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think on the road is probably enough. I think this, these are two with how they're playing lately. Like, probably pretty similar caliber teams. Um, and, and I think, you know, playing at home for Chicago will be enough to kind of tilt their direction. So uh, with the one and a half, if it was like the three point line, I think I might've like went for a push there, like that they could keep it within three. I mean, one and a half, you're, you're basically saying that you think that the 49ers are going to win, which I don't think will be the, the, the case. So 
I think that that Chicago is able to cover the one and a half point spread. I think it's pretty close though. I think um, we see maybe a little bit more of a high scoring game, not not much in the way of great defense with these teams. So let's go with a final score of like thirty four to thirty or something in that that range. I think. I am going to predict a 49ers victory. Oh no. Oh no, you're going to you're going to get me that we're we're going to be tied now cuz I, I made know. that mistake earlier and that's how you got the one. Um, I know. 8 no's going away. I know. You know, I I'm going to predict the 49ers victory. I think they will win. And that means of course they cover. Um I just think that the defense is playing well enough. And with Matt Barkley being in there, I just, I don't, if it were Jay Cutler, I would say, you know what? We probably lose this game, but it's the Matt Barkley factor, man. Um, I mean, I, I, that, that's a big deal for me because I think Jim O'Neill is going to be, I think the defense has been playing well the last two weeks. You've got two brand new run defenders that can play well against the run. And you've got a quarterback in Colin Kaepernick that is peaking in the most mediocre sense that I can use the word peaking. (laughs) So I think, oh man, but see, then I go back because then I think, okay, if anyone knows Colin Kaepernick is Vic Fangio, right? And he's not going to be so dumb as to play straight up man coverage all game. I mean, I'll put this, this is their op, like it's this week or next week against the Jets. And if they don't get wins there, I I just, I don't think another one's coming. Like, yeah, you know what? I'm going, I'm doing it. I'm uh, saying they win. Flat out, they went straight again, up. Right, that was my. What I think it was the was it the Saints game or the Tampa Bay? One of the Saints or Tampa Bay, I think, were was the game that I decided to to go kind of out on a limb and and pick a four nine win there. And it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, it's probably got to happen at some point, right? Like it, one of these games, like they're not going to be favored to win a single game here, um, or at least they probably shouldn't be. And uh, there, there's n- no scenario left on the schedule where this is the most likely outcome. But you know what? It's probably going to happen at some point. So I think, yeah, this yeah. is as good a game as any. I think I'll probably save it. Uh, if they continue to play similar to, to what we've seen in recent weeks uh, here, I probably will go that direction uh, against the Jets next week. But, um, yeah, I think it'll at the very least, you know, hopefully we'll see what we saw against Miami in, in the sense that... It, at least this is like kind of entertaining and not miserable to watch. That's really what I'm hoping for, for these last few games. That's a, uh, that's, and that's where we're at in four nineers land. Really? That's, yeah. that's, that's, that's one the rule. One in 10. Let's do it. That's right. That, that about does it for this week's edition of the better rivals podcast. Uh, David, it's been fun. Like I said, we're going to have fun. We started this because it was supposed to be fun and uh, let's keep having some fun. Do it. Oh, we, wait, 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 uh, we need a call to action here. We didn't decide. Oh, on one. all right. I jotted a couple yeah. of them down. Um, so number one, uh, playoff money. That wasn't exactly the one we said at the top of the show, but I think hashtag playoff money. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do with your playoff money now that you don't have to spend it on the Niners (laughs) (laughs) or two, uh, cut them all. I thought that was a good one too. Just like cut them all. That's right. Uh, Just blow it up. Cut them all. Uh, what do you want to go with? I don't know. You want to go uh, give them the option. I think whatever you decide that... Uh, that I'm going to lean playoff money. Yeah, I want to know like what you're going to do. Too. I want to know what you're going to do with this newfound playoff money. But what it, Christmas gift are you going to buy? 
what you know what amazon echo alexa thing are you going to frivolously spend on you know i want i want to hear what is in your hopes and dreams now that you don't have to spend any money on uh, on fortnite playoff tickets so i agree hashtag I, playoff money if you do want to throw out position groups where you would cut them all um feel free to include those as well though. or I'll, individual I'll humans ones. no i want position you. groups one person that like cut them all you need to at least be talking about a position group here Wait, all right, cut them all position groups. Position yeah. groups only. Yep. We're going to know you've got to the end because you're talking about position groups only. Uh, so, yeah. So, that about does it, my friend. You can always follow me at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? It's going to be at David Newman with an underscore at the end. Very That's sad right. underscore. Always with the underscore, my friend. One day. One day we're going to drop that underscore. One of these days. One of these days indeed. But... Yeah, you can uh, definitely follow us on the Twitters. Uh, and thanks again for tuning in. Thanks again for those of you who have left reviews on iTunes. They help people discover the show uh, and uh, find us when they're searching for 49ers stuff to listen to. So thanks again for tuning in. And as always, go Niners. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.